Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, hey, Sam. How you been? It's been a while. Good, man. It's been... Fantastic. Yeah, we've had a little break. Yeah. Um, we took a week off because there wasn't that much at the cinema, and then I went on holiday. So there's been a bit of a uh, bit of a gap, um, and I just wanted to say something to you. Okay. <laughs> uh, you might not realize, but I'm still here because of your kindness, because of your curiosity, because of your kindness, because of your patience, and because of your love. Know how much it means, and know how much value you, yes, you, give to the world. It's what I would be saying if I was quoting just film crit Hulk. That man is so sincere. <laughs> He's unbelievably sincere he's so twitter sincere he's so full of love i feel like it's a real twitter thing it's like thank you so much let's make this world a better place that yeah. kind of like let's all well, hold I think, hands you stuff. know it's a probably a bit of a counter to exactly uh to the bile that you often get online speaking of which did you see the uh new Roletta Media review of The Last Jedi this one done by the sort of character episode of Mr. Plinkett the kind of weird Steve Wright angry basement dwelling 400 year old weirdo <laughs> yeah i didn't actually watch this I, I i watched their review of the last jedi um when they just did their regular episode on it and i thought it was dumb yeah it's like that but imagine like 50 minutes long and with like very slow delivery and well they've, they've committed jokes. to the bit now right because yeah. they got big after that like two hour review of um the phantom menace that they did in the, in the mr plinkett persona yeah, um, I and mean, that's what made them famous was their sort of evisceration of the prequels. Yeah, and now they have to do every Star Wars movie because you got to keep up the. Yeah, the exactly. And this one, I sort of hate watched the whole thing. It was really bad. All the nitpicks of well, they're all nitpicks. That's the main problem. He's like complaining. Of, yeah, exactly. Like, oh, why doesn't Pope uh, hyperspeed this way or whatever? And it's like because it's a fucking movie, or whatever. But also mixed in with some quite like just mean jokes about Ryan Johnson. And very much not that dissimilar, just the, the general pylon that's been headed towards him. But I do find it fascinating how The Last Jedi continues to be this dividing thing. And I think it's interesting in relation to Red Letter Media how just because Star Wars is the film everyone's seen and everyone likes the original three, it's like this kind of interesting uh, litmus test for like film criticism in a way. It's like they could tell that those ones were good. And they could tell that the prequels were really bad. Any idiot can see that. Yeah. When a film is like a bit complicated, not straightforwardly good or bad, or there's stuff to discuss, like the the machine breaks down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's because you, you make your... I mean, the Mr. Blinken thing is basically a form of the epic rant, isn't it? Yeah. It's just uh, done as a kind of comedy sketch. But like the spirit of it is the epic rant, where yeah. it's just pointing out things that are dumb. You're like, yeah. that's so dumb. Look at how stupid this is. Yeah, and also it's like the persona is almost to shield it from criticism. It's like, I'm the ultimate basement-dwelling guy. Yeah, it's a so... bit of a comic book guy kind of gag, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I know that Star Wars is for nerds, and I'm a huge nerd. Yeah. But, uh, but my comedy my... thing is being even more of a nerd or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. You can't mock me because I've already mocked myself yes. to such degrees. But their, their, their show is very much the same kind of thing where, like, they obviously are a group of guys who sit around like opening you know uh, drinking beers and talking about movies yeah unlike us unlike us we're not like that at we're all not like that at i've all. never done that uh but i mean 
not saying we wouldn't give for the numbers <laughs> i'm not saying there's anything wrong with that but like but their their sort of sketch thing is that there are all these like blue collar guys doing that yeah it's just a bit weird that it's kind of couched in a sketch because you know there's no characters yeah it's like just they're, them. they're just like kind of repair guys but it's also kind of just them i guess it's trying to go for some sort of clerks thing but it is a bit yeah, it's like that kind of distancing effect to be like, I'm a nerd, but I, but I, but I know it. I know that it's lame. Yeah, um, but the video just made me. The more people hate that movie, the more I'm inclined to believe it's a masterpiece. So it's like the yeah. most important film made in the last twenty years. <laughs> like, yeah, in terms of it's sort of like going for broke with it, like it's kind of less than mainstream approach. Or, or it's certainly like going all out to outrage the most obnoxious people on the internet. So it's got that going for it. Yeah, there's also like behind the scenes footage of um, the documentary, the making of, where it seemed like you know uh, Mark Hamill wasn't happy about it, and some people uh, uh, you know expressed concerns about the way the story did. And like the fact that Ryan Johnson like marched on, he's like, I will not cave to my vision. I was like, oh, props to him. him, you know, good for him. Good for him. You know, no one likes films made by committees. They suck. Yeah. Um, do they complain about... Who's that actress who all the nerds hated because she wasn't sufficiently hot? And uh, uh, Oh, yeah. Kelly Marie Trans. Yeah. Um, do they have any issue with her? Or do, they go, do they go for any of that? Or do they refrain from... No, they don't really. They kind of skirt around it. I think they just find it, like, annoying. It's not that she's a woman. It's that... Um, they're more annoyed about the Laura Dern character. Oh, yeah. You know, why doesn't she just tell... What Poe's, you know, why don't you just tell Poe the idea? Why is she keeping to herself? There's only a few of them left anyway. You know, is it going to, what, they're going to leak the information? It's like, ah, you don't understand the film. <laughs> it's too stupid. Annoying guys. I don't, you know, I don't want to be dismissive of someone else's opinion, but I just genuinely don't believe you understood what the film's, you know, once you clue into what it's doing, it's like, oh, you know. That video should be taken from YouTube and replaced by our review of The Last Jedi. I don't remember exactly how it went, but I'm sure it was good. Yeah. Sure, it was you know very apposite, probably funnier than them. Very funny, very insightful. Yeah, shorter. Where's why aren't we YouTube stars? Well, we don't film this, so we'll put it on YouTube. That's probably the problem. That's the problem. We got to start doing that, man. We got to like uh, do like a framing device around every episode where I've come to repair your you know sink or something. Except we don't have sex because that sounds like the start of a porn <laughs> thing. <laughs> and instead, well, we one just... thing leads to another, and we end up having sex. <laughs> one thing leads to another, we end up uh, talking about movies. <laughs> Do you think that would be a good sort of device? <laughs> yeah, one time, like, you're a landlord you, 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 and I can't pay my rent and you come round. Yeah. And one thing leads to another when we start discussing war films. <laughs> and then you order a pizza and it turns out I've quit my job as a landlord and now I'm the pizza guy. One thing leads to another. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Every episode, you think it's going to be a porn film, but we just have a great time talking about the movies. Yeah. We'll call it Pricktees <laughs> Chat. <laughs> Prick Tease Chat. It's a pretty good name. Um, anyway, before well, we haven't yet launched that Prick Tease Chat, so we just film chat for the moment. But what does that entail, Danny? What's the current format like? I'll tell you exactly what the current format is like. Uh, film Chat is a podcast all about an outlaw called Sam Foster riding the open plains, searching for the man who ransacked his town. When he finally tracks him down, the ensuing showdown renders him mortally injured. Subsequently, he is paid a visit by the devil, who proposes a bargain where he would save his life and the life of his brother Cody but in return they have to work for him as his personal bounty hunters meanwhile Danny Moran the embodiment of death roams the planet so it's up to Sam with the help of a posse he recruits to shut him down so that he does not vanquish humankind however they are not the only party pursuing Danny out on the field are several others who wish to find Danny and do away with him is what I would be saying this is a adaptation of the Wikipedia page for the film Six Gun Saviour Starring Eric Roberts, mm. you know the actor Eric Roberts. Uh, yeah. This is in fact just a podcast where we talk about and review films. I'm Danny Moran, and joining me, a man who is dead but is fighting death. It's not clear. Sounds great. Sam Foster. Hey, Danny. Hey. Good to be here. <laughs> so um, after our break, we are back. We've got a trio of reviews for you of big acclaimed films, and we're going to have some very big thoughts about them. Spike Lee's Black Klansman which is based on some for real, for real shit, uh, about a black police officer who improbably infiltrates the Ku Klux Klan, Bull Schrader's low-budget priest drama First Reformed, and Pavel Pavlovsky's period romance Cold War. Plus, we talk about the travails of Bond. Poor bloody Bond. Someone please help Bond get his film made. 
and we discuss Ryan Johnson's new film, which might star Bond himself. Nice to see Bond getting a bit of a break after the trouble he's been having. We also talk about the lineup for the London Film Festival, which has once again appallingly snubbed us by failing to include our film 12 Angry Men in 60 Seconds. That's available on YouTube if you want to watch that. Uh, it's the greatest film never to be featured on the festival circuit. It's got a good 10,000 views. That's not bad, is it? That's about 1% of that, those fucking racist uh, YouTube reviews that you yeah. know, Red Letter Media makes. That's not bad. Uh, all that should leave just enough time for me to burn my Nike trainers in protest at that disgusting Colin Kaepernick ad, which disrespected the American flag in some way. I'll also be burning all of my back copies of The New Yorker in protest at the disgusting decision to no platform the bad but highly interesting Steve Bannon. And I'll also be burning all of my Guardians of the Galaxy merchandise at the disgusting refusal to reinstate James Gunn as the director of the third installment of that series. And I'll also be burning some Doctor Who audio tapes that I own because that character is played uh, by a woman now. I'll also be burning the <laughs> the World Cup of Everything by Richard Osman because I'm done with that. I've we've, We already did that one. Yeah. We've like filled that in and stuff. So I'm, you know, finished with that. And maybe be burning a few more things. I haven't quite, you know, finished working that out. Uh, be putting everything into a big pile, burning them all at once, and then I'll be throwing myself on the pyre, and I'll be burning myself, uh, which is the ultimate protest, really, isn't it? Yeah. So I want to achieve some political change that way. Cool. Hopefully there'll be time for that. Good luck with that. Thanks. got quite a lot of correspondence in the uh, time we've been away which is always very nice isn't it love it when you come home I love it from holiday to a nice big post back uh chris young has written into us he says hi film chat i'm sure you've seen by now but danny boyle is no longer directing bond my question to you is who would you least like to see get the directing gig my shout is denny villeneuve just think it would be bad branner on the other hand casting himself as bond i would watch love you that's a great idea. Branner is Bond. Old, <laughs> smug Bond. Yeah, I mean, there's been plenty of old Bonds, haven't there? Yeah. And I, I actually thought Murder on the Orient Express was a bit of a Bond audition. Yeah. Because Bond is smart, isn't he? He's smart. And, uh, he's on train occasionally. He's, he's been on, yeah, he's there's, been on a trains. Train, there's a train scene in Spectre, isn't there? There's a train scene in From Russia with Love. Yeah, he's been on a lot of trains. Been on some trains. Integral <laughs> so. of the character. <laughs> Knows how to get on and off a train. It was very clear. Uh, yeah. Uh, what, what do you think, Danny? Who would you least like to see direct a Bond film? I, whoa, who would I least like to see? Well, I agree that Denny Villeneuve would be bad. And I think he would make a Bond film similar to Sam Mendes, which is like just trying to imbue some meaning into stuff by having really beautifully composed images of like Bond staring at stuff. Yeah. But the script would still be bad and it would still be quite a shadow action film. But it's like about a man's place in the world or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he'd be better at it than... Sam Mendes, but I think that is a bit of his shtick is just sort of like no matter how shallow the material is, it's like I will just shoot it like it's the most seismic. Yeah, it would just be uh, annoying because thing. people would probably, everyone would give it five stars or something, Yeah, but it would still not be very good. I mean, that was also my immediate thought when Chris asked the question, having been uh, presented with Danny Villeneuve, I was, my mind was going to vaguely similar kinds of directors. So I was thinking that Tom Ford would probably make a pretty shit Bond film. Well, he's always providing of... the suits. The Tom Ford suits already are already wearing in there. Them. He's They're already yeah. in there. So, so, yeah, that seems like a logical step. I can imagine them asking him to do it, and I can imagine it being, you know, just this sort of cold, flat, miserable experience of really beautiful-looking people <laughs> just not doing anything. <laughs> um, and by another similar token, Joe Wright, who I think is another one of these uh, kind of British, you know, very, very English kinds of uh, directors in a quite annoying way. Yeah. Um who i don't rate at all so <laughs> you know because because the, the thing that kind of sucked about sam mendes um films was that kind of uh it's about england and yeah, that loss she and reads a tennis poetry poem and, or yeah um and that sort of english nostalgia that they were imbued with was um a bit sickening yeah and i feel like that would be what jay wright's films would also be who's like. the most nationalistic director nolan nolan after dunkirk 
Yeah, but he's already made his like Batman's kind of Bond, isn't it? Like Morgan Freeman's Q. He already dresses as Bond. It's the same thing, right? Just a guy swanning about in expensive suits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Inception is like the end of Inception is basically on No Majesty's Secret Service. Surprising they haven't asked him, to be honest. Maybe they just can't afford him. They can't afford him. (laughs) Not with his cameras. (laughs) Not what he wants to do. Yeah, or maybe, yeah, maybe it's just the idea is boring to him because, uh, you know, it feels like everyone knows what his Bond film will be like already. Well, Well, Skyfall is basically the Dark Knight, right? He's already influenced the franchise so much that if he actually directed it, like, what's he left, you know... I've already done it, haven't I? Like, you just copied all my ideas, so... Yeah, absolutely. Um, Who else would be shit? <laughs> I don't know, because, like, when I think of, like, a bad director, like, I would love to see, like, Nick Love's Bond movie, you know? That'd be brilliant. Because <laughs> it's just, it's such a s- sterile state at the moment that, yeah, like, yeah. even, Completely. like, a bad director would just, like, well, I just want to see that. I mean, I'm not sure... Honestly, I would, I would go for Michael Bay's Bond film. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think that if it was one of those sort of more standard like bad hollywood hack kind of types um you would probably get something that felt a bit more lively than these um like fashion shoots yeah uh, that we've had lately and it wouldn't be so self-important and i think that would probably be good for the franchise what about guy Ritchie? do you think he'd make a good one well, you only made the man from uncle That's the man good. from uncle was a good movie yeah so i think maybe i think maybe he would make a pretty good bond movie to be honest with you yeah. well i didn't mean you know, and Matthew em- emphasis there on Bond, you know, in relative terms, I'm talking here. Matthew Vaughn, oh my God. Yeah, he would make an absolutely shit Bond film. Well, it feels like Layer Cake was basically the kind of proto Casino Royale, right? They just sort of... Do you think so? Well, I feel, I feel like that's what got Daniel Craig the gig. Oh, and it probably like... is because he's a sort of cool gangster dude, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised. I think there was rumours at the time that he was like, perhaps offered it. Oh, yeah? Like Matthew Vaughn or like... But he'd only made one movie, so like, nah. Yeah, I mean, I can very much see him doing them, obviously, because of the Kingsman franchise. He's obviously, you know, he wants a bite of that cherry. That would be terrible. I mean, it kind of, he suits the material in a way. Like, it's, uh, he's a total prick, like Bond, so I feel like it would it would make sense. Very Tory. Very Tory, exactly. Hates women, I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Seems kind of racist. He is Bond. He is Bond. He's Paul Fleming. He's the closest thing we have to Paul Fleming. Um, Paul Fleming? So Ian Fleming. <laughs> Sorry, that's actually a local council who's called Paul Fleming. So I'm not referring to him. Um, I'm referring to just in case Paul Fleming's listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mate. Um, Faraday, Faraday Ward councillor in my area. I was thinking of Ian Fleming, the author of the Bond novels. Um, that's correct, isn't it? I haven't got yeah. that wrong a second yeah, time. So you got I the right, Ian Fleming. Um, this leads us quite neatly onto Andy Paul's question. Uh, what do you think of this list? And the list he is referring to uh, is Peter Bradshaw's um, rankings of all of the Bond films. Bradders. What's he like? I shan't read them. There's 26 of them, so I won't, you know, bore you with them. But uh, I'm sure you can look them up if you're if you're keen to do so. Um, Andy's comment on the list is Peter Bradshaw bloody loves Spectre, doesn't he? I think the list highlights the low batting average of a Bond film. I watched Goldeneye recently. In the opening 10 minutes, Bond jumps off a cliff and manages to free fall into a plane. Ridiculous. <laughs> that is ridiculous. I mean, it's, yeah. What's I he, would, how do you do that? You know, it's Bond. What a mad, what a mad stunt. He's oh, got Goldeneye's number 18 is on, uh, on Bradshaw's list. So he does not... It probably agrees with Andy Paul because it's too ridiculous. Well, Danny, you're sort of expert on the Bond, aren't you? Because you've seen all the films. I've seen them all. So, I, I, you know, which is not something I can claim. I've not seen most of them. Well, I would actually agree with Peter Bradshaw's list to some extent in that in his top five, he has Dr. No from Russia of Love and Goldfinger, which are the first three Sean Connery's. And I think those are the best purely because the franchise makes the most sense in the early 60s when there's like there was an actual Cold War yeah. and all the ridiculous you know, slightly heightened reality of people doing world domination is like, yeah, fine, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And also... It's all become a parody of itself, yeah, I guess. Yeah, exactly. It's still kind of fresh and it was like the dynamic new action franchise and not like following on the heels of something else like it is now. And uh, people look better in the early 60s as opposed to any other time period. Yeah. It's like why the early seasons of Mad Men are the best. Because they they look look the coolest. They they look the coolest. Um, And yeah, like it just makes the most sense in that... I mean, to be honest with you, it's kind of weird that it's kept on going. You know what I mean? Like, if it stopped in the 60s, they would never reboot it. Because, like, it's just like a collection of tropes now. Yeah. Um, so I find myself agreeing with Peter Bradshaw. Though he does seem to, like, have bought into the whole uh, Bond is a serious 
Daniel Craig stuff. Those are all ranked very highly. Well, I, I think, actually think Goldeneye is one of the best ones. Which he's got way down at 18. Yeah. I mean, ridiculous opening aside, I think it's just like quite a fun movie. I would say I would say he correctly has Casino Royale as the best of the new Daniel Craig's. I can comment on that, having seen all of those. Yeah. It's definitely the best one. <clears throat> Excuse me. But then he has Spectre right after that, and that movie was shit. So I disagree with that. The, my main beef with this list is having Die Another Day all the way down at 25. That is better. I on, ironically <laughs> believe that to be better than uh, any of the Dan, uh, Daniel Craig ones. Although I have some time for Casino Royale, to be honest with you. Yeah. But um, all the others are not as good as Die Another Day, in my opinion. It's basically a total cartoon, and Pierce Brosnan is very funny in it. <laughs> He's great. So... <laughs> Uh, and I've seen it for quite a lot of times. It was a while when it was playing on TV all the time. And I think I watched it a couple times on a plane too. and stuff. Yeah. So I've seen Done of the Day like loads and loads of times. <laughs> I'm, very, I'm highly it's great. familiar. It's got an invisible car. Yeah, it's got that invisible car. It's got the cool bit where he uses the ejector seat to flip his car over. That is a good bit. It's pretty clever. Um, it's just, yeah, it's it's completely silly. But the trajectory of Bond movies recently is to become more and more silly in a kind of uh, like cl- classic Bond type way. Yeah, but uh, at the same time... But at the same time be, you know, very serious and cool and classy and stuff, and I find that very annoying. Whereas Dawn of the Day is just straightforwardly ridiculous in a more kind of Roger Moore-era type way. Um, <laughs> and I, I like the bit when he sort of comes out the sea and he's just got a massive beard and he wanders into a hotel and he, this guy's immediately like, ah, oh, Mr. Bond, I'll prepare your presidential suite or something. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, how you been doing? He's like, just surviving. Yeah. <laughs> He's just been tortured for like two yeah, years. Exactly. Fucking brilliant. Daniel Craig would never say anything like that. He can't pull off those lines. No, Daniel Craig is charmless as a bond. <laughs> He's just miserable and rude to people. He's really surly. He's like, it does make it, it does not make sense that women are always throwing themselves at Daniel Craig's bond because he's not nice to anyone. He's you know, not, he's a Roger meanie. Moore's got a bloody twinkle in his eye. Yeah, and you know, I can feel my flies unzipping as I as I watch him. Hello, Sam. <laughs> yeah, if he was alive and just like fixed you with a stare you'd be powerless of course i would be powerless whereas the daniel craig i'd just be, be like, i just you know. what are you gonna be fuck off mate well it's like it's like a bad customer service every time you meet him basically you just be like jesus give it a fucking rest you know we're all on this planet together just like <laughs> come on there's no need for this yeah it's like being on like a really busy commute that's how he acts all the time <laughs> <laughs> then you get paid like 40 million like a movie at this point or something insane yeah well and he must be well paid to be an international spy, right? And his apartment looks like shit. His goes are too decorated. His apartment looks like shit. Um, anyway. Yeah, humorless. But yeah, I like. Uh, I think the list isn't that good apart from the early Sean Connerys. And I like Goldeneye. I like Casino Royale. Going back to directors, those are both directed by Martin Campbell. And I think he's the best director of the Bond movies. Those are memorable action sequences. He knows how to move a camera. He doesn't spend ages of like Bond just staring at a tree or whatever he does these days. <laughs> you know, got a little pep to him. I think because Casino kind of holds up. It's like over 10 years old now, but it's always on ITV too. That's another movie on rotation. And every time I see like, that's a good parkour chase or whatever. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, the action sequences in Casino Royale are good. It's better than anything in Spectre. I, I can't remember what happened in that movie, but uh, didn't they, the building exploded again or something? Well, the nonsense. Casino, Casino Royale was that was like a honest attempt to reinvent the Bond, Bond franchise for a new era, you know. And it still had a bit of him kind of like crying and looking really sad, and that was all. That's the most boring, you know, yeah. bits that you don't buy at all. Um, but it was it was trying to make a Bond movie that's like a Bond movie or something. And I kind of I think that's fine, you know, to go and like do that and have it be this more you know kind of gritty or in, in massive scare quotes version of Bond. But I much prefer that to um, the fashion shoot Bond. Um, yeah. Yeah. Me too. Andy has another question. He says, Danny speaks with a slight American accent. Is this because you watched a lot of US TV and film when you were young? How dare you, sir? <laughs> Me? An Americorn? Well, this is funny with because... my cut glass English accent. Well, people say that I have an Ameri- a bit of an Maybe American accent. Maybe I hang out with you too much. Maybe it's my influence, yeah. Some people have said this to me. I think I've, you know, departed producer Katie. Mm-hmm. He always used to say Katie. The, the producer of the film Departed. 
Yeah, the producer of the film <laughs> departed. Uh, Katie, Katie, Katie yeah, Rogers, who also happens to produce this podcast. <laughs> now, Oscar-winning, uh, Oscar-winning <laughs> film producer of The Departed, Katie Rogers, yeah. Yeah, I always just say Katie. 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 Like I say my teasers D's, which I think is quite an American thing. Yeah. So I think maybe I have a few Americanisms in my vocabulary. Sorry. Don't know who I am. Maybe it's because I'm just an insane method actor like Gary Oldman. He's got like this kind of weird American English mm. transatlantic voice. Yeah. I've been getting too you, much you into my... You increasing like Charlie Hunnam. That's what I think. Yeah, exactly. Um, I can I can tell you. Uh, well, I've I've had the same thing said about me. I had but teachers you've an, who... you have an American father. Yeah, I've got, I've got a great excuse. I oh, know he's not American anymore, right? Formerly American father. Yeah, he's not American now. He's, as soon as he got his British citizenship, <laughs> he just uh, switched immediately. Yeah, and now he just wears a monocle and carries a cane, and he's you know very posh now. But you're uh, you're he's half American. He's always asking me to go and shoot grouse with him. <laughs> <laughs> You've changed, Dad. You've changed. Yeah. Um, he is actually still American. He hasn't he hasn't given up his American citizenship yet. Yeah. So you heard so that you voice growing up, and so you yeah, internalized exactly. a few. Well, I seem so. It's either that, or it was a self, uh, well, like a subconscious decision to try to become a bit cool. Yeah. It's like that thing that you uh, told me once about the. Uh, Beatles that they you know don't have a authentic Liverpoolian accent. Yeah, they I don't know why I've, of... I've said you know presented myself as Martin accents. Well, but like that's just that's... remember it being a comment that you made once. Yeah, they sound like scousers who like copying like a sort of Californian accent. No one actually sounds like the Beatles accent isn't like a pure Liverpoolian accent. Yeah. It's like you know, man, we're all very chilled out and living on the beach. Like what beach? Well, that's me. Liverpool. And, that's me and you. Yeah, we, we, we've um, we've in order we're to become the Beatles. Cool, of podcasting. I hear what you're saying. Yes. Lennon and McCartney of podcasting. In every respect, that analogy cool. is appropriate. Great. Well, that, does that answer your question, Andy? I don't know. Um, get off my back, okay? Do you do you want to get rid of your American twang, or do you want to embrace it? I'm just, you know, I'm just happy being me. Just be you, man. Just, just be who you are. Just be. Gatsby just want to be, man. <laughs> <laughs> I do find that, yeah... Certain things sound better in America. Like I say, ass more than ass. I think ass is taking over in yeah. the UK. Actually, yeah, I, think, yeah. I think ass is on its way out. Such an ass, ass. Like it's more satisfying. To, actually, what's more satisfying to say? I think. I think it depends on the context. Asshole. I don't say asshole. Just say like boring ass, whatever. Like you know. Oh yeah, some you boring can't... ass film. You can't say some boring ass film. It's no, that's ridiculous. Stupid. Yeah, that's but, like that's like people who say J Z very deliberately. Yeah, but asshole is better than asshole. I yeah. think to say, I, yeah, I don't. Asshole's not really a regular part of my vocab, so I don't. I don't have to make that choice very much. Yeah, but let's I mean, just be ourselves. You let's know? just be ourselves, and that's that's what people love, isn't it? Someone who's comfortable with their own voice. Yes. <laughs> Superhero films announced, casting rumors leaking out. M Night Shyamalan's film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped. Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint. That's the news that's fit to print. A new story that combines what we were both just discussing. So Ryan Johnson, hot off the heels of the university acclaimed The Last Jedi, everyone loved that movie, um, is lining up his next film. It's going to be called Knives Out, and it's a murder mystery crime story that he's cooked up with his long-term producer, Ram Bergman, and apparently it's going to be the, in the style of like an Agatha Christie film. And because of the delay to Bond 25, they are able to cast Daniel Craig as the lead. And the shooting is going to begin this November. Um, on the casting of Craig, Johnson said, I've been a huge fan and always wanted to work with him. And as I worked on the script trying to get it right, Ram and I were wringing our hands over who would be the detective. Then, serendipitously, we heard that Daniel might have a small window and it worked out. He's an actor of extraordinary range and we're looking forward to the fun of finding that modern detective and collaborating with Daniel and creating a new Poirot. Not a natural Poirot, but a Poirot-esque character. Were we saying earlier that Branagh's Poirot was a, um audition for, for Bond? Bond. And but Bond, Bond is, is an audition. audition for Poirot. Exactly. Wow. Well, he's played a detective in The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Of sorts. I mean, he's not a professional detective, but he's the yeah, movie's he's detective. Yeah, he's pretty good in that movie. He's pretty good in it, yeah. Um, the, the title Knives Out makes me... Because he's obviously got a lot of backlash against, yeah. like... Sun, sun's out, knives out. Yeah. As I the just, phrase goes. I often wonder if directors factor in how easily their film might be... The title might be, like, punned or twisted by a reviewer for, like, a crap <laughs> headline. I remember when, like, Superbad came out and uh, Mark... 
Kamoe uh, didn't like it. So he's like, a self-reviewing film. Yes. It's like, oh, shut up. There's Knives Out. And like, if it's device, it's like, the knives are out for Knives Out. I've called my film Turkey Bomb. <laughs> 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 Big mistake. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> it's too tempting. Um, but yeah, it sounds fun. <laughs> this movie. <laughs> Daniel Craig was really good in Logan Lucky. Yeah, I feel like you know, anytime he gets to not play Bond, he's like relishing it. So. Yeah, he's gonna be like, can I dye my hair pink for this role? Can I? <laughs> can I lose a huge amount of body weight? Can I uh, be like uh, on stilts the whole film or something? Like, I've got to look different to Bond. I gotta wear like massive blocky glasses and a false nose and like talk in a you know strange accent. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> exactly. What the, that's what the have fans a, want. Have a thick Finnish accent or something. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Sounds nuts. Why not? Well, it would be like when um, uh, you know, uh, Henry Cavill supposedly turned up on the set of Mission Impossible Fallout, having had a beard for his the previous film he was shooting. And they were just kind of on the spot. They were like, oh, just, you know, try it out. Just shave it into a moustache and we'll just go with that. I think maybe, like, Daniel Craig is going to try that. He's going to turn up on the set in some sort of, like, mental, bizarre collection of uh, facial hair and prosthetics. And it's just like, I just thought I would just give this a go. (laughs) What do you think? I mean, he actually, you know, he does, he has had something. Well, he had that weird face, right? At the BAFTAs. At the BAFTAs, he had that weird face. (laughs) Um, I don't, I don't know if we've on, ever gotten to the bottom of the face that he had and why, whether it was temporary or permanent. <laughs> has, he, has, has, he, has he released a film since then? Logan Lucky came after that, right? Or did it not before? I think it was probably shot before, so... So we don't know what his new face is like. Yeah. Do you think it's possible that he deliberately got plastic surgery <laughs> to not look like Bond anymore so he couldn't do it again? It would be impossible for him to play the role again because he'd yeah. got an diff- entirely different face. He's thrown himself down the stairs <laughs> trying to break a bone in his body. <laughs> Like, constantly, like, you know, <laughs> Danny Ball delivered, like, the best script ever written. He's like, no, I can't do this, can't do this. Keeps on delaying it. Just get me out of my fucking contract. Yeah. Maybe. That's my theory, anyway. Yeah. Maybe Knives Out refers to plastic surgery, and that's going to be the explanation for his fucking bizarre-looking face. That's a good theory. In the movie. Yeah. I do think it's a good fit for Ryan Johnson, like, a murder mystery story. Because whatever you think of The Last Jedi... It is like a very well plotted film. Like the sort of there's a ridiculousness to the way things are set up and paid off. Yeah. And Agatha Christie's, you know, the whole joy of them is the fact that like, yeah, it was in the manor, but you were in the pantry at this time. But then someone turned your watch an hour back, but you saw the butler. But it was someone in the butler's clothes or whatever. It's all like, <laughs> you know, all about the minutiae of like who was where and like what were they wearing yeah. and who saw who at what time. It so must that- have been the butler. <laughs> he was wearing the butler's clothes. <laughs> That's a classy device. <laughs> a lot of whodunits. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you see that a lot. So looking forward to that one. Yeah, that sounds like it'll be fun. I would uh, also in kind of Johnson's wheelhouse because he, he enjoys all that stuff, right? In Brick is that kind of a movie. So he's yeah. obviously got fondness for these. I thought he'd be busy making his new Star Wars trilogy, though. Is that still on the cards or has that been kiboshed? I don't know. It's just like the entire Lucasfilm division thing is just like shut down because like they can't, Solo they can't, they like, can't handle it because Solo was a slightly disappointing film and The Last Jedi didn't make as much money as The Force Awakens or something well they've had they released four films and two of them were massively reshot so it's like okay something's not going right here so yeah but they, but, the, but, but those but, always seem to be them chickening out you know yeah I mean the movies are kind of successful and Solo yeah I don't know like it just seems like they have this license to print money and they're really fretting over it and they just need to chill out just my channel shit. Ch- well, people will go see the movies, you know. Absolutely. Um, and I want to see Ryan Johnson be, you know, written that massive blank check to make his uh, brand new trilogy. Sick. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost fifty pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The London Film Festival program has been announced. Very exciting. Exciting stuff. Danny and I will be returning to the festival once again. Yeah, um, Danny's third, my second. Very exciting. Very much looking forward to it. And the program looks really strong. 
um and the opening night gala which last year was the com- film that sank totally without a trace breathe was it breathe last year yeah, yeah. breathe call teddy call teddy um uh, which no one gave a shit about this year it's the much more exciting looking widows the new steve mcqueen film which is like a crime film starring a bunch of women looks really cool recommend you check out the trailer if you've not seen it um they've got a, a bunch of other um pretty big names the new coen brothers movie the ballad of buster scruggs is going to play um yorgos lanthimos's new film uh, starring olivia coleman uh, the favorite that's going to be there um suspiria the remake of suspiria by luca guadagnino uh, is also going to play so yeah some good stuff yeah i think that's the appeal of the london film festival is because it's uh pretty much the last major film festival it's like after toronto after venice after berlin after Cannes. it's like uh the sort of critical opinion on stuff has already been made so if you like got a limited budget and you're like i want to see some genuinely like amazing films i don't have to like take a punt on like what might be you know good or bad um but yeah i'm super i'm i'm chomping at the bet it's also um 38 <laughs> directed by women the films included which is very admirable of the british film institution making like a lead where like other festivals are kind of falling short of that they'd like the bfi uh, you know, credit what credit's due. They always seem to like genuinely like have sincere like goals to like increase diversity and stuff. Yeah, and they do that like year after year. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a shame that we have to uh, celebrate thirty eight percent, but you know, it's just unfortunately still the case that women are in massive minority in terms of uh, directing behind the camera stuff. Yeah, I mean, there was that recent um, Directors UK report on diversity i don't have the stats in front of me it's actually like going backwards like in terms of the number of women who work in tv direction and stuff um it's pretty bad that's bad so yeah so it's good that they've uh um well i mean does it sound bad to say that they've obviously made an effort as though like they've gone out of their way i don't know i mean maybe there's just more there's probably a lot of great movies by women but well yeah exactly i I don't know if you can presume positive discrimination but no, but I think it's like a case of there's like the big headline gala movies, and then there's like you know there's two hundred films, and they've got to find these films, yeah, and yeah, yeah. For a lot of stuff, and so they've obviously made a conscious effort to just like make sure women are included. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, it just seems good. I mean, the entire programming team are you know it's predominantly female run. So the women are looking after the women. <laughs> the way no man could possibly program a festival like this. That's what I'm saying. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. Big. I think the film I'm most excited for is Suspiria because the reviews have come out and it says like it's this getting assault on the senses. And I was like, that's the first like Suspiria. So what the hell is this one like? Because the first one's pretty full on. I don't know if Thom York's soundtrack will be as good as Goblins though. Yeah, the Goblin soundtrack is very good. I mean, I've seen a few people on Twitter kind of poo-pooing the new, uh, like the, the the track you released, the new film. No, 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 not the soundtrack. Um, just like the the whole uh, project itself is kind of like sucking the fun out of the uh, out of that sort of cool jello thing and making it, you know, some sort of serious-looking Instagram filter thing. But well, that's the way to go. Like you got to, you know, got to do something to, to different. Try, you I guess. can't out Argento the the first one. No one it's... out Argento's Argento. <laughs> Yeah, but it's like, it's so full on. It's like, no point trying to make it this theatrical, colourful, crazy prog rock synth soundtrack thing. Yeah, you might you, as well you've got to have a new take on it, then. And, you know, why not? There's a scene where Tilda Swinton fucks nine peaches. That'd be crazy. <laughs> That's what he's into now, right? Got a Nino. Just a few more peach fucking scenes and I can get that Academy Award. Yeah. Whoops. Sorry. If you heard that, that was my WhatsApp going off. Got a message on WhatsApp. And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it ass-punchingly poor? How did Danny form a judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off Danny, review something for me. I will review The Cold War, which is the new film by EDA director Pavel Pavlovsky. Pavlovsky. Pavel Pavlovsky. That's the one. He, his name is too many words. It's too syllables, long, it's too too long, long. And foreign for this guy. Yeah, for me and my American accent. How, how am I going <laughs> to get that? Get around that? So it is set in Poland in the late 40s, and it's about uh, this guy called Victor, who's part of a group of sort of urban city-dwelling musicians who have been dispatched to the countryside to find talented singers and musicians to form a sort of traveling music act which celebrates Polish culture. But it's in fact a kind of propaganda outfit for uh, to praise Stalin because the country's recently become communist, uh, and 
one of the singers they recruit is this peasant girl called uh, Zula, and they start a love affair, but they seem to have this strange relationship where they are attracted and repelled to each other. And you see how the relationship sort of ebbs and flows over the next 15 or so years. And this period takes in quite a turbulent time in uh, Europe. It's kind of reforming itself and kind of goes from uh, Poland to Paris and other countries. And it's all shot in beautiful black and white and full free f- frame. And it got a billion great reviews. Everyone loved this movie. I not, don't get it. Not not Danny. I get it. You know, if I was like really lame, I'd say it, would left, me, it left me cold. But... <laughs> I'm, that's too obvious. I would never say something like that. So the sort of structure of the movie is that it's only 86 minutes long and it kind of ju- has these sort of sudden jumps ahead in time. It's like the relationship is kind of what happens between the time jumps and you're supposed to sort of piece together what it is. It's like you're seeing the sort of impression of something. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, it's like cross-sections or something. Yeah, something like Yeah, I think that was the idea. And it's a very bold move by the filmmaker uh, but it wasn't completely successful for me. And there's that kind of famous writing rule Billy Wilder had, where it's like, if you let the audience put two and two together, they'll love you forever. But I was like, I do not love you forever, because <laughs> yeah, I feel like... This is a quadratic equation. This is a quadratic <laughs> equation. And because there's this kind of secular nature to their relationship, where they sort of fall in and out of love, they're just going around in circles. So once they've gone around that circle a couple of times, I'm like, I get it, okay? You, for whatever reason, you can't make it work. Um, but I didn't really get much of a handle on what made them tick i think it's it's like it's quite a cold movie it's like it's like puts you at arm's length uh in a way which just made me unable to engage in the movie and it is very beautifully shot uh you can't like fold it for that like every frame looks like a painting but it almost became a problem in that it's so beautiful it's almost kind of sickly to me it's like kind of like it's like a meal that's too rich it's like i'm being bombarded with so much like beautiful black and white photography it's like just you know, have a scene with where they talk and stuff. I don't know, like, yeah, I just couldn't get into it. And take, take a shit, <laughs> take a scene where they jump take in a, a dump. fucking ditch or something. <laughs> there's a bit where they jump in a, in a lake, but and there's that's, like, that's the, but that's a beautiful thing to jump into. But there's also, it's kind of littered with like really like cliche moments in a way which I was like, if this film wasn't in black and white, people would roll their eyes at it. Like, there's the whole thing about them being musicians I find annoying because it gives the movie a license for them just to, like, have long bits where they sing at each other or whatever and just stare at... Because you can't have a movie where people just stare at somebody else. That's boring. But if yeah. they're singing while the other person stares, that's, like, a movie. It is... I think that is a bit of a cliche of um, kind of arty films Yeah. that have uh, long scenes where someone plays an entire song. It's in almost all of Almodovar's movies. Yeah. And uh, it's quite a bad bit of the movie Shame as well. Yeah, it's like a long musical. Oh interlude. god, the New York, New York bit. Yeah, fuck me, that was awful. Yeah, <laughs> so and, I do think that's yeah, that is it is a corny, um, corny device. Well, it's a bit where like she's left him and it cuts to him like playing piano, like jazz piano, and it pans out. Everyone's like, "What's he doing? He's playing piano for too long." You know what I mean? That kind of moment. Yeah, it's like yeah. that was like La La Land or something. You know, yeah. I thought this was like this genius European filmmaker. It's rubbish. Um... <laughs> And uh, yeah, it's a curious. Well, it's a curious thing where I feel like the director has completely succeeded in his ambitions. He has made the movie he wanted to make, but I just find myself underwhelmed by it. And for me, it was always kind of teetering on the edge of working, but it just didn't have enough to like make it all come together. And as such, I found it quite frustrating. But okay. it's only eighty-six minutes. I mean, if it was two hours long, I probably would have, like really didn't like it. But I, I was just like completely unmoved by it. It kind of passed the time, and I was like, huh. You know, I shrugged it off. By the time I walked home, I'd forgotten it. And I live five steps from the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> and I live in that cinema. And I watched it at home. So, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the rest of the world thinks it's a masterpiece, so... But I don't. When Zach Raff heard something that changed his life What he listened to when John Cusack made a mistake for his future wife, what did she listen to? And when Michael Madsen cut a guy's ear off, what was he dancing to? And when Tim Robbins showed Shawshank that he had enough, which record did he choose? Yeah, 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 yeah. Say, Black Klansman. 
with three Ks. This is the new movie from Spike Lee, who previously made Chirac in 2015 and obviously has made many films, many great films. He's adapting a memoir of a guy called Ron Stallworth, who is a police officer in Colorado Springs Police Force in the 1970s, their first black police officer. In the film, he's played by John David Washington, who is the son of Denzel Washington. The premise of the film is that he goes undercover with the local chapter of the Ku Klux Klan, which he manages, despite being black, by... um, uh, only speaking to them over the phone. And for in-person meetings, Ron Starworth is represented by um, Flip Zimmerman, who is one of his Jewish colleagues. He's played by Adam Driver. Here is a clip of the two of them discussing their mission. This is the job. What's your problem? That's my problem. For you, it's a crusade. For me, it's a job. It's not personal, nor should it be. Why haven't you bought into this? Why should I? Because you're Jewish, brother. The so-called chosen people. You've been passing for a wasp. White Anglo-Saxon Protestant, cherry pie, hot dog, white boy. Hmm. That's what some light-skinned black folks do. They pass for white. Doesn't that hatred you've been hearing the Klan say, doesn't that piss you off? Of course it does. Then why are you acting like you ain't got skin in the game, brother? Rookie, that's my fucking business. It's our business. I'm going to get you your membership card so you can go to the cross burning and get in deeper with these guys. So I, perhaps this will be another slightly contrarian take in that this film has gotten uh, a very good set of reviews. It's, re- it's, it's very acclaimed um, and it has a, a great premise. I remember that we were talking about it when it was first announced. It's uh, um, produced by Jordan Peele, who was running out Get Out. And Get Out had such a uh, sort of complete um, message about uh, racism in contemporary American society. And so there's an obvious, you know, uh, opportunity to have a kind of angle in this story on the same topic and uh, so we're really looking forward to seeing what's going to be done with it uh, but it's a very strange film it's weird and, it, and i don't think it's entirely successful i mean I, d- I didn't not like it um i think overall i probably did like the movie um but the things that have sort of lingered with me have been like the odd parts of it that didn't quite work yeah it's intermittently uh quite sort of powerful film and quite funny and it works kind of well uh is well, the, the premise, although true, is somewhat pulpy. Um, and the movie kind of plays that up a lot. It's, it sort of zips along in certain parts and it's got this kind of soul uh, soundtrack that sort of um, harkens back to black exploitation type movies. And it has a kind of... Um, it's very energetic, like all of Spike Lee's movies are, in a way that it's almost madcap, in fact. It kind of... There's a lot of ideas in uh, how it's sort of cut together. Um, and that makes it quite propulsive. It's never boring. Um, and it's kind of... Uh, compelling to watch um and all the performances are very good probably the standout performance is topher grace who plays uh david duke um real life uh ex head of the kkk who's uh was at the time um of this this movie is set um part of the, what makes it so weird is that although it is a true story it has this kind of feel of being a fantasy and it's because it's the story of like a cool uh black guy and his like unflappable police colleague who are infiltrating probably the most racist thing ever you know yeah they're very straightforwardly almost like cartoonishly racist and the um kkk members are for the most part kind of snarling hick types um Topher grace as david duke is a bit different because he's not you know we know what he was like as a real person and he is not that kind of character he's the sort of like mild-mannered presentable in quotes face face of the the kkk yeah um, who helped manage some kind of uh, transition to them becoming non-violent, you know, or supposedly non-violent at least. Um, but the bulk of the membership of the group that he joins uh, are kind of like that, one guy in, in particular. Um, and so it has that sort of cathartic feel to it because it's like, you know, a black guy living in a time that's where racism is uh, was, you know, especially prevalent and very in your face. And he sort of takes it head on and it's like, humiliating for them obviously to be infiltrated by a black person so the movie kind of like plays up that but it's also trying to be very confronting and hard-nosed and unflinching about contemporary american racism and it has some extremely broad um uh, sort of massive nods and winks to uh trump it's like the post or something and the present yeah exactly it is a bit like the post and there's something that's uh just a bit odd in those sort of dual purposes 
because the 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 nods to trump like having people say america first and stuff there's a conversation as well where ron starworth is talking to a guy who's like a guy like david duke could never become the president and you know yeah, someone yeah. else like is like Whoa, blah 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 and w- when i was watching this the whole audience laughed mm. like all those bits that remind you of the present day like were kind of laugh lines um and uh but then the way that the movie ends is with this uh i don't know if this this might be a spoiler no i think because it's been discussed in like all the reviews yeah well and it's not a plot spoiler it's not a plot spoiler yeah so the, so the so the very end of the movie plays this like news footage of the charlottesville rally well there's actually a bunch of different things there's like some footage of trump talking about the rally and like there's you know it's intercut with various things and the way that it the, the footage ends is with um a car driving into a crowd of people and and murdering heather Hare, who's the person who was killed um on that day so like basically the last thing that you see before you walk out um of the cinema is like real footage of like a murder being committed yeah um and it's a bit like as if to say you know oh the dangers of the kkk are more present than ever and you know racism is rearing its ugly head once again in american society but it just seemed clangingly tasteless to me to to end this kind this film which is um a uh a a somewhat sort of zippy and cathartic romp yeah um i mean not that's not what the whole film is but certainly large parts of it are like that um, and ending it on this note of foreboding makes a certain amount of sense to me. But ending it on this like actually slowed down, lingering footage of an of an actual murder being committed did seem a bit much. And it kind of, for me at least, it sort of erased the the film that preceded it because I came out feel, thinking a bit like, what was the point of the film? But you know, yeah, the 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 footage itself is a more um, like that is the gut punch about contemporary racism not this story of a of a guy who infiltrated the kkk and um you know and the, the film doesn't really have a strong message about what that achieved it's just more about the catharsis of witnessing a guy doing it you know yeah so it's there's no kind of connection in like in terms of the message of what the movie is trying to tell you between the operation in the 70s and like the contemporary resurgence of like obvious american racism it's more that you know we see out and out racism like back then it's like which everybody knows was a thing you know um and then we see that it's also you know happening again now or it's happening more than it was before or something um and that's really the connection but like that sort of makes the actual action of the movie somewhat irrelevant if that's the kind of takeaway and i was just came away from it being a bit like grossed out i don't know or just it was horrifying you know yeah it's very strange i think the thing that i found most confusing was the way the police is depicted in the movie yeah that's another odd thing and i don't know this is just me thinking what i thought the film was going to be like but to sort of proceeds the plot it's about a black man in an already racist organization infiltrating another another racist organization but it's just like more overt so it's like you can point to that and say that's bad they literally dress up in crazy white hoods and burn crosses like in many way that's like it's you know the enemy you know yeah they all sort of like watch birth of a nation and yell at the black characters and laugh and stuff and like it's almost like what's the point of mocking the kkk they're like they're self-parodying they're like the D nerds of like racists (laughs) they're so stupid and so uh, cartoonishly villainous um but it's sort of like has there's because there's a character who's a uh, black rights activist it kind of talks about racism a lot but i don't think it particularly articulates that through the plot and especially um and especially the way the other white cops there's like one sort of comically racist one and the other ones the other people are like uh you know you know it's tough be having a black guy on my crew and it's like the arc of it is like they respect him at the end not because of the color of his skin because he's like proven his stripes it's like oh you're not like oh you were a rookie before but now you're one of us yeah and the and at the end there's like a bit there's a spoiler but he's like i want to be a cop but i also want to support like black liberation it's like those are those are not those are mutually exclusive things you can't the movies articulate that you can't do that but he just says, but I'm going to do both. And it's like, well, well it's very, it leaves a lot on the table. I feel like it missed the dramatic meat was well, it was skirted yeah. over. It certainly makes it feel confused because they have this black activist character who's, who's a fictional character who's introduced for the movie. It's not part of the Ron Star Wars memoir. He has this romance with this um, woman who's like a radical. Um, and so the movie is obviously nodding towards that tradition and, you know, 
um, and, and respecting it. And she, she hates cops, which she talks about a lot. Uh, but yeah, the way that it dramatically plays out in terms of the police force makes it seem like there's basically one really racist cop and then the others are just kind of the guys. And then, and then the, but the way that the, which would be, you know, which would be odd, like, or maybe seem like a strange angle to take. But then, like, the way that the plot ends up kind of resolving that just really hammers home that you're supposed to celebrate that department. Like, yeah, it's they're, like, like, they're all fucking awesome. And, like, he's joined the club at the end. Yeah, it's like... um the KKK is so racist. Instead of like the, the movie making a comparison between the two organizations, it kind of throws the police into r- the relief. It makes them seem awesome. They're, yeah, they're like, awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if I'm fully qualified to make this point, but <laughs> I kind of thought the, the whole point about the Charlottesville uh, rally and stuff is that they now they've got their guy in the White House. They're like the entire right has been emboldened because this yeah. has become mainstream, and it becomes mainstream by these sort of like just the normalizing of racist speech. So it's like it's the KKK, like they're always going to be racist. It's like, obviously they are the problem, but it's like it's the everyday societal injustices that build up, which is what allows something like Charlottesville to happen. But the movie like ignores all that. It's like it's just the racists over there in the woods, and yeah. everything else is sort of fine-ish. And they have like a few kind of like it's it's talked about but not articulated. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So it's just like very odd. It's just confused, and it's like now everyone's and the and then yeah, they like you were saying like sort of also reality now and it's like okay well well because like the, was... the movie's like more rompy qualities are ramped up in the, the way that the plot concludes and it almost there's moments which are almost like you're expecting there to be a freeze frame and then the credits roll on top <laughs> of it you know because of the level of sort of chumminess yeah i thought one scene was literally a dream sequence and it wasn't yeah there is one scene that yeah i also thought that it was going to be revealed to be like a fantasy or something because it seems so silly like it just didn't seem at all believable and then it turned that was just part of what happened in the plot um so five stars so yeah i don't know just a curious a curious film i I recommend um looking up the uh, criticisms of the movie made by boots riley who's the director of this film sorry to bother you um and he's uh uh, criticisms come from a kind of radical left perspective uh, but i think they're pretty apposite um and uh yeah kind of interesting but like and i didn't read that before i'd, I'd seen him criticize it but i didn't read what he said before i saw the movie because i didn't want to like see any spoilers um uh so it wasn't like i had that frame of mind like going into it um but i definitely was um yeah bemused bemused by the by the film amusing film but i mean all that sounds very negative i mean i think it's definitely worth watching and there's a lot to enjoy in it um yeah i think the conversation you have about the movie is more interesting than the film itself in yeah a way. yeah it's like the think piece the, almost it's worth it for the think pieces generated in a way <laughs> yeah sounds quite well, a glib way of describing it, well it, but... it certainly raises like a lot of things which are then interesting to think about in terms of um yeah contemporary racism and how it works structurally in society and stuff my favorite film stars Bridget Bardo. She's the queen, but she wants to be in radio. So she starts a podcast with her friends, and the terrorists try to stop her, but she beats them in the end. I saw another film, First Reformed, which came out a while ago, but it's still playing at the Prince Charles. If you want to go see it, it stars Ethan Hawke as a priest called Ernst Toller, and he is the priest at a small church called the First Reformed Church. And the church is owned by a huge kind of church corp called Saving Lives. And First Reformed is more like a tourist spot, which has got a lot of historical value. And he only has a few regular parishioners. And before the film starts, Toller is a man in crisis. Uh, He's kind of grieving for his son who was killed in Iraq. And he has some health problems. And one of his regular parishioners, Mary, played by Amanda Seyfried, comes to him she's pregnant and asks for him to talk with her husband michael who's an environmental activist and thinks that bringing a child into the world is unethical given the way the world is on fire and uh we've had last we're gonna be under sea in 20 minutes or something i forget the stats and um this meeting has a profound effect on him and the film is well it's a lot of things but it could be glibly described as a sort of crisis of faith movie Here's a clip of Ethan Hawke discussing uh, the church's lack of involvement in environmental issues with the head of Saving Lives, played by Cedric the Entertainer. I wasn't aware that I had offended. Jesus didn't want our suffering. He suffered for us. Mm -hmm. He wants 
our commitment and our obedience. And what of his creation? The heavens declare the glory of God. God is present everywhere in every plant, every river, every tiny insect. The whole world is a manifestation of his holy presence. I think this is an issue where, where the church can lead, but, but they say nothing. The, the U.S. Congress still denies climate change? Where were we when these people were elected? So I thought this film was brilliant. I loved it. It washed the bad taste of Cold War right out of my mouth. <laughs> um, a lot of the reviews of this movie has uh, cited how good Ethan Hawke is in it, and he is brilliant. Uh, it, and when he got this script, he must have thought, fuck a jackpot. This is, I'm going to take this character to the bank. It's a well-worn conceit, but he is going for all this stuff, but he has to present himself as this sort of pillar of the community and, you know, be very composed. But it's all happening underneath, and it's a real acting masterclass. Um, and there's like a real stillness to the movie. It really takes its time and very purposefully directed. And you feel like you're in very safe hands. And the whole movie, I'm like, what is Ethan thinking? And it, uh, I don't know. And it builds and builds to a very memorable climax. Do you find out what he's thinking? Yeah, you find out what he's thinking. <laughs> yeah, it keeps a diary, so it's helpful. <laughs> you know what he's thinking. He talks about it a lot. And uh, a lot of the movie is about uh, the church's lack of involvement, environmental issues. And one of the arguments uh, Priest articulates is that Perhaps the plan is for the world to die so it can be reborn, like in the same way you sin so you can be forgiven, which is a slightly weird argument. But there's a lot of theological discussion in it, and there's one scene which is a sort of 10-minute kind of back and forth. Uh, but it doesn't feel like Paul Schrader has crowbarred in his like musings. His, his blog or something. His blog. It's, a, it's kind of brilliantly melded in with the narrative structure, and it's a very cinematic movie in that it um it's full of like really strong visual storytellings and it's built from purely cinematic devices like Ethan Hawke keeps a diary like voiceover is something you only can do in movies and there's a lot of close-ups I read, I read an interview with Paul Schreier talking about the work of Robert Bresson and Bergman I've seen like one of both of those directors works and I was like I can sort of see what he means right close-ups lots of close-ups men being tortured about their thoughts and that but it's in that tradition Lost on me. I mean, my favorite movie, Spy Kids <laughs> too. Um, the plot is very good. That's another. <laughs> that's what makes it a good film. Uh, it's a it's a very enthralling movie. Like, I mean, the fact is about a priest having a crisis of faith. That's the only kind of plot line you can have of a priest, really. Yeah, having some sort of crisis of confidence. Does he say something like? I've got so much doubt. Yeah. I'm so full of doubt. Well, uh, I just mean, just the nature of having a protagonist who's a member of the clergy kind of like limits, limits your film on what's going to happen in it. It's going to be this internal, like, you know, first person thing. But it's very well paced and it's full of surprising moments. And uh, I think what I liked about it is the tone is that everything is treated with the same kind of attention. Like the conversation he has with one of his parishioners is the same as something like on paper, like a more dramatic moment. But it's all done with the same kind of like intensity. Uh, which is very effective. Some bits are a little bit on the nose. Occasionally things operate in a, it's, it's a metaphor way. I mean, uh, Amanda Seyfried is literally called Mary and she's pregnant and she's like this angelic figure who's like this sort of symbol of hope and purity in life. And it's like, okay, I think I get what you're trying to say here with the uh, Mary character. She is literally Madonna with child. Uh, but I've, I felt I kind of earned it. Like the movie is so sincere in what it's trying to do that you kind of forgive it. Some of it's more clumsy in moments. And yeah, to be honest, I, I don't, I haven't got quite handled on what it was doing. It, it, effect, it affected me. I like, when I was trying to write notes for this, I went on a real rabbit hole of trying to dissect what the movie was doing because it's operating on all these different levels. Uh, I just, it was just really good. Okay. And yeah, it was unlike, um, uh, unlike Cold War, it was like, ambiguous but purposeful you know you felt like Paul Schrader knows what he's doing and he's given you enough to find your way in there and any interpretation is valid but, but it wasn't like I have made my little film and I put it in this crazy code only a genius can decipher you know it's like <laughs> yeah, it just yeah. feels like a very sincere well thought out serious piece of filmmaking great I thoroughly enjoyed it sounds excellent and I loved Ethan Hawke in it and I loved listening to you Review it. I love Ethan Hawke. He's got the name of someone who should really be like the Green Lantern or something, but he's just like a sort of indie actor. Ethan Hawke. That's the coolest fucking name I've heard in my life. Is Ethan a cool name? Yes. Get thee to a cinema and see it. Ooh, time for a break from all the film chat. Have a cup of tea, maybe. 
snack and telephone friends who you know where she's at. Right, that's enough now. Back to film chat. Okay, friends. That is the conclusion of our comeback episode of Film Chat. It's very long, I yeah. assume, if you've not edited this down. <laughs> well, I won't have edited it. I'll just put up raw, raw audio. Raw audio. Raw audio. Join us next <laughs> week. We'll be reviewing some more films. You're seeing The Miseducation of Cameron Post, aren't you? I am seeing that, yeah. Yeah, I might see that. I might not. Or whatever. So I'll we'll review that. that. Yeah. Cool. All right, cool. Right. All right. All right. Bye. Bye. Yeah. See ya. Let's do it. Now, when did this, how long have you known you were going to be the next James Bond? How long have you been holding out for a stand? Uh, okay, right? um, it's been a couple of months. Yeah, and we, we've been discussing it. Wow. We've just been trying to sort of figure things out. But I, I always wanted to. Uh, I, I needed a break. You I mean, always want to because no, uh, oh, oh, oh. you said at an interview <laughs> after you finished Spectre, Mr. I always wanted to. You said, I, somebody asked you I'm if you wanted to change Bond, my mind. You said, I'd rather slash my wrist than play James Bond again. I can't believe you've got that written of down. Course. Of course. Um, I have a terrible memory. People have to write things down for me. So there was a time when you did it was, look, I, I, there's no point in making excuses about it, but it was two days after I finished shooting the last week. I went straight to an interview and someone said, would you do another one? And I went, no. I, and I, instead of saying something, you know, um, with style and, and grace, I gave a really stupid answer. Well, that's like asking a woman who just gave birth and has like a four-inch episiotomy, would you like to have another baby? <laughs> it's, no, it's not quite like that. <laughs>